Well, I feel like I haven't been on a Wednesday night for a long time, at least uh, teaching. I was here, obviously, last week, but didn't teach, and so I had no idea when we took that break it was going to be that long of a break for me, but it's good to be back on Wednesday night, and we've got our uh, friendly clipboard here. It's got a few vacancies on it, so if you're not familiar with this, we do kind of a family meal uh, prior to the start of the Renew service up here, we kind of do that for our families, uh, moms and dads, especially with young kids. It just helps them be able to kind of be a part of this, to be able to kind of come here, know that the meal's all prepared, ready to be eaten. They can just kind of come. And then it's also just a great opportunity for families kind of just to be able to sit down, do a meal together. So we really do rely on um, just volunteers to help us make that happen. So uh, we've got people that we need just for uh, serving, for cleanup. And so there's a couple of uh, vacancies here uh, coming up on February 11th and 18th and 25th. So let's pass this around. If you can come and help, it's just a great opportunity to serve. Um, you also can, you know, kind of uh, have an opportunity to eat as well. So there's a benefit in that. So if you can help us out on that, we'd appreciate that. Please make sure if it gets, if you're like at the end of a row or a section, if you can just make sure that that gets over to the next section so that kind of gets around to everybody. Unless it fills up, then you, if it, you know, if you get it and it's full, just hold on to it. There's no sense passing around a clipboard with no um, options on that. Well, I want to continue what um, I feel like I started a couple months ago. I'm just really kind of teaching on intimacy with God. You know, what does that look like? How do we experience that? And so I'm going to kind of go through pretty slow. I don't know where you all are at on this. I mean, some of you may, you know, you, you may be looking at me thinking, man, I had this figured out a long, long time ago. And maybe I'm just kind of Johnny come lately on this. Um, but I remember being down at uh, IHOP and had gone down there just to kind of be in the prayer room. And uh, Jim and Mary were serving down there, and so Janie and I wanted to kind of go down and experience IHOP and visit with Jim and Mary. And I just remember being there, there at at IHOP, and that was kind of one of the things that really felt like God kind of just spoke in my spirit, was that he really wanted to teach me, and he really wanted to lead me into this whole realm of intimacy with God, and I'd never really even, you know, I'd never really even thought of the concept. I mean, you know, I love God, God loves me, you know, I understood that. But there was just something about that concept of intimacy that just somehow made it personal enough that it really kind of made me uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, that kind of really kind of started that journey for me, into what is it, God, that you're wanting to show me, what is it you're wanting to teach me on this whole idea of intimacy with you? And I just had no idea when I really got started in this, really what all was in that. And I'm still, you know, discovering aspects of that. And so this is really kind of pretty new to me. I mean, I've, you know, been on this for a couple of years, but it's still pretty new to me. And so there just are aspects of this that I just still have a hard time getting my head and getting my heart kind of wrapped around this concept. So for some of you, you may feel like, why does he keep going over and over and over the same points? We got it. Good. I'm, I'm working on really trying to get 
this, to get my heart established in this. I don't know if it's just because I'm in my 50s now, you know, that old saying, it's just hard to teach uh, old dog new tricks. So I may be this old dog that's having a hard time learning these new tricks. So I just want to kind of continue. I want to build um, on this. And again, what is it? What are the ingredients? If we're developing and you may be at that stage where you're kind of just developing this concept, or maybe you're, you've kind of developed it, and you're kind of at that stage now where you're really wanting to deepen this whole concept of intimacy with, with the Godhead. And when I talk about the Godhead, I'm talking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so last month, I think like almost two months ago, when we were together, we kind of started talking about seven foundational truths. And, and I, you know, kind of went through these pretty slowly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review the ones we've covered, kind of give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to dive into uh, foundational truth number four. And so, um, again, these foundational truths, they're crucial. They're critical to really understanding, to really developing, to deepening your intimacy with God. Now, these foundational truths are also critical because they will be of great value and assistance to you as you learn and understand the best way to respond to and to deal with sin in our lives. And so, since we've been away from this study for a little while, let me just refresh your memory on a couple of key points, because I'll use this terminology when I'm talking about intimacy with the Godhead. Again, the term Godhead, that is a term the Apostle Paul uses. I've listed there on the screen, Colossians 2.9, Romans 1.20 are instances where Paul uses this terminology, Godhead. And when Paul uses that terminology, Godhead, what he is referring to is what you and I know as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal co-eternal with one another. Now, I have defined intimacy with God as being when the deepest parts of us commune, experience, and partake in the infinitely deep parts of God. Now, intimacy with God develops And it deepens when our hearts, and when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about the fleshly organ. I'm talking about our spirit, our emotions. I'm talking about our passion, our thoughts. So when our hearts engage with the heart of God, intimacy will will develop. It will deepen. When our hearts are positioned before God in such a way that we are able to set our affection upon him, when that happens, God will use that opportunity and he'll just begin to draw you to himself. He will begin to lead you into the secret place where his presence dwells. That's what we're after, isn't it? What that intimacy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit looks like is once you begin that journey to the heart of God, he will begin to just awaken your heart to his beauty. So we, we're gonna, we'll, we're, we'll get into that as we kind of get into the series. We're going to talk about that beauty realm of God. When we, when we behold the beauty of God, what are we beholding? What is that? What does that look like? How do we do that? Because in intimacy, what God is going to do, God is just going to awaken your heart to his beauty. And he's going to begin to awaken your heart to his word, if that hasn't happened already. 
You'll just read the word and it'll just come alive in you. He will awaken your heart to his beauty and he'll just begin just to remove any and all obstacles that would hinder his love from freely, fully flowing within you. Now again, when our hearts engage his heart and that intimacy deepens, he will begin to allow us to see ourselves through his eyes. See, a lot of us, we see ourselves through our own eyes or we see ourselves through the eyes of others. But friends, there's something totally different when God allows you to see you through his eyes. There's just something incredible and it'll just cause your heart to begin to come alive. Now the reason why that scares a lot of us is because you you think you're kind of under the delusion that if God were to reveal to you how he sees you, many of you have very negative thoughts of what God would show you. you. You think that God would show you all of the wrong things you do. You think that God would show you the things that would make you feel shame and guilt and distance from him. The exact opposite is true. Psalms talks about that, that his, his thoughts towards you are precious and they are innumerable. And when you begin to move into that intimate place with God, he will begin to Open your eyes. He will begin to open your heart and your spirit, and he'll begin to speak those precious, innumerable thoughts that he thinks towards you. He'll open up to us the hope of his calling, the hope of his destiny for our lives, and he will increase the spirit of wisdom. He will increase the spirit of knowledge, of himself. Again, this is just some of what you can expect when you, uh, when, when you just begin that journey of allowing God to just deepen you in that place of intimacy with him. So with that, let me just quickly review a couple of foundations. And so that, that kind of, I'm trying to just give you there what I mean when I'm talking about intimacy, uh, what I'm talking about, trying to just define that, to give you a handle. Of, so when I, when I use that word intimacy, what I'm, what I'm, hoping and what I'm trusting God is going to do with that. So the first foundation that we covered was spiritual immaturity and rebellion are not the same thing, even though they may kind of outwardly manifest themselves as uh, the same. And the reason this is so important for us to understand is because there is a big difference between spiritual immaturity and rebellion. And it can, if if we've got confusion on that, it can and it will become a roadblock in our relationship with God. And, And many Christians falsely believe, they're kind of under this illusion that they are rebellious before God. And with that comes this shame and this guilt and this distance because you're looking at things that are happening in your lives and you're interpreting this is, is this is happening because I'm rebelling against God when the truth of the matter is it's really spiritual immaturity that you're experiencing. And again, rebellion, spiritual immaturity, they, they can 
look the same in how they manifest, but there's something that is very, very different in how God looks at rebellion versus spiritual immaturity. And so we've got to be clear on that. If we are deceived into thinking that the struggles, the failures, the mistakes, the sin in our lives, if we're kind of under the illusion that this is rebellion against God instead of spiritual immaturity, we can be much harder on ourselves. We'll just fall in again to that trap of, of guilt, of shame, condemnation. We'll just kind of keep our distance from God or, or we'll just avoid him altogether. So that's that first foundation. Rebellion and spiritual immaturity are not the same thing. and We've got to know what the difference there is. Second foundation for growing in intimacy with God is we have the absolute, complete assurance and confidence of God's enjoyment of us in our spiritual immaturity. As I was kind of working on this today, the phrase that just kept coming over and over and over in my mind, progress, not perfection. Focus on the progress. Focus on the progress in the relationship with the Lord, not on perfection. Because see, a lot of us have bought into this notion that we will not experience fellowship, we will not experience intimacy, we will not experience uh, any kind of connection with God until we reach that place of perfection. And that, it's just, it's impossible. It's unattainable. And so we have to focus on progress, not perfection. So we have the absolute assurance. We've got to come to that place where we have the complete confidence that even in our spiritual immaturity, God enjoys us. Now again, God takes no delight in the rebellious person. I mean, if you are outwardly rebelling against God, he takes no delight in that. He loves you, but he takes neither delight nor enjoyment in the rebellion Whereas God does find enjoyment, he takes delight in those who, although struggling, are spiritually immature, weak believers. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people. The Lord did not set his love on you, and that again, that's that intimacy, nor chose you because you were more in number, but because the Lord loved you. Now here's what and where a lot of believers kind of find themselves. And I was was one of these people not too long ago. They believe God loves them. They have no problem with the concept of the love of God. God loves me. For God so loved that we have John 3.16 memorized. We have no problem with the concept of God loving us. But when it comes to God enjoying us, taking delight in us, stumbling, weak, immature Believers, that for us is more difficult to accept and believe. And yet, I tell you, it's true. God actually, I mean, honestly, enjoys and delights in us, even while we're stumbling, weak, immature, falling, failing 
imperfect us. Again, most of us struggle. I've been there. I'm there now to really fully and completely embrace this in our current state. Yet, the only way we're going to have this strength, courage, and motivation to embrace, to respond to the invitation of God to deepen, to grow in our maturity and our intimacy with him is we have got to believe, we have got to embrace the truth that God thoroughly enjoys and delights in immature believers. And until we get to that point, it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible, for us to have victory in our walk and in our relationship with the Godhead apart from knowing how much God enjoys and delights in us. This, this truth, this discovery of God's enjoyment of us, it, it's the fuel, it's the motivation for us to rise up and to move deeper into that relationship and intimacy with God. We've got to come to this steadfast conviction, this faith, this trust in our hearts that God completely, truly, fully loves, enjoys, and delights in the weakest of immature believers. God enjoys us not once. We're fully mature. Remember, progress, not perfection. God enjoys us not once we reach that place of perfection, but he also enjoys us in the process, in the journey towards maturing. That's the second foundation. Third foundation for growing in intimacy with God is God's enjoyment of us is not the same as his approval of all that we do. Some hear the statement, that I just made here, that God enjoys, he delights in us, he delights in us, in our weakness, in our stumbling, in our failures, in our spiritual immaturity, and then we falsely conclude that means God also approves of everything we think, feel, or do. And this obviously is not the case. Again, God enjoys, he delights in the weak, stumbling, immature believers, but he does not agree with, nor does he approve of sinful attitudes or actions that we participate in. God sees areas in our lives that he does not approve of without nullifying his enjoyment and delight in us. We kind of think it's all or nothing. It's just black and white with God. It's all or nothing. And that's not true. And so the false conclusion a lot of believers come to is if there's just this one area, I mean, no matter how big or small, no matter how, how egregious of a sin that may be, if there is just one area of your life that God does not approve of, then he does not approve of you as a person. And again, this is black and white thinking, and this kind of thinking is disastrous. It took me a while to break out of that. We make the flawed conclusion that partial obedience is total disobedience. And that's simply not how God sees us. There are areas in all of our lives 
here tonight, and we could stand up and each of us testify to this, where there are areas of obedience in our lives and areas of disobedience. We are a mix of both now. Part of God's plan, part of his goal for my life, for your life, is that we would recognize those areas that as God shines an illuminating light on those areas of our lives, that we would recognize those areas of imperfection, those areas of weaknesses, those areas of sin, that we would repent of that and begin to walk in obedience. But again, it never affects or changes or alters how God feels towards you. Now listen carefully, God can and he does fully love, enjoy, and delight in you while in the process of delivering and freeing us from areas of sin, of disobedience, of weakness, and immaturity. God loves us not just when we're delivered, not just when we're freed from that area of sin or disobedience or spiritual immaturity, but also in the process of deliverance and taking us to that place of maturity. Again, progress, not perfection. As parents of six kids, our children have areas of weaknesses. Here's your parent here. Your children have areas of weaknesses, of immaturity, of stumbling, of making bad choices. Now, Janie and I, we don't close our hearts off to them or withdraw our love, our support, our caring, our nurturing of them. Neither does our heavenly Father toward his children, no matter where we are at in the process of spiritual maturity. God can and he does and he always will fully enjoys and delights in us while he grows us in areas of obedience to him. Now, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, if you've not read that in a while, go back and read that. Because this is a deep well of that very truth. The father's extravagant response, and in the story, the father represents God clothing him in robes, putting shoes on his feet, placing a ring on his finger, killing the fatted calf, is not his father's approving of his son's life of wine and women. Rather, the father, secure in his love for his son, patiently waits for the opportunity to reaffirm to his wayward, lost son that nothing changed in the way he viewed their relationship. Now when the son discovers this in the story there in Luke 15 is foundation number four. We're gonna, this will be kind of new territory for us tonight. God's disapproval of an area brings divine discipline. God's disapproval of an area of weakness, of spiritual immaturity, of failure, of sin, God's disapproval of an area, it invites God's divine discipline. Now, foundation number three is that God can, he does, enjoy, he delights 
over an individual while at the same time disproving of certain areas of their life. Foundation number four is that those areas that he disproves of will usher in, it will bring forth divine discipline. Now again, oftentimes we view discipline in a very, very negative way. Now listen carefully what I'm about to say. God's divine discipline in our lives is a bold declaration of his overwhelming passion for us. Now that may be a new definition of discipline. It may be a new way for you to look at discipline. Whether you're receiving discipline or giving discipline. We give, we receive discipline oftentimes in very, very negative. It's viewed as a punitive thing. I want you to see from God's point of view is that it is his declaration of his overwhelming passion, his deep concern, his love. For us, God's divine discipline is not like the discipline we may have experienced from other people. I've shared pretty openly that I had a very abusive parent. Um, one time, uh, was smacked so hard across the left side of my head here, it shattered bones uh, in my um, mastoid area, and I'm deaf in this ear because of that. And so I, I've been on the very, very abusive end of discipline. So some of us, you know, we, we equate, and I, so I, I, if anybody, probably carry a lot of very negative connotations toward this whole concept of discipline. So again, God's divine discipline, it's not like that. It's not going to be physically abusive. It's not going to lead us to places where, where we're going to, you know, God's going to smack us upside the head so hard it's going to cause us to lose our hearing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit and the remorse, the, the maybe the grief that we feel over sin is actually God's gift to us. I mean, if you've ever done something and immediately you just feel this sense of remorse, you feel this sense of grief that, that maybe you have offended the Holy Spirit, that, that you've done something to hurt the heart of God, that, that sense of conviction, of grief, it, it is the Holy Spirit's gift to us. And, and many believers, we despise the discipline of the Lord because, again, we think, like on human terms, God's out to get us. God's waiting there in heaven with, with a big stick, and he's just waiting to whack us with it. The truth is, God's pursuit of us to free us, to bring us out of those areas of sin, of bondage, of weakness, of struggling, to free us from our sin. It is an extravagant, beautiful picture of his love for us. The very goal of God's discipline, when God disciplines you, the goal of that is is that God wants to free you He wants to lead you out of the things that hinder you from being able to receive and to reciprocate his love. Divine discipline is one of God's tools of trying to remove the things that hinder, that block his love from freely 
flowing with us in our walk and relationship with him. Again, when we see God's divine discipline from the vantage point, we will realize the divine discipline of God is intimacy-driven, not punishment-driven. That was a huge shift for me, to see God's divine discipline in my life not as a punishment-driven form of discipline, but it was an intimacy-driven form. The driving motivation of divine discipline in sinful areas of our lives, it reveals God's desire, his ownership, his passion, his commitment in our lives to bring us to that place of holiness just as he is holy. Hebrews 12, it just gives us, I mean, I spent a little bit of time just looking into Hebrews 12. Gives us just, again, some great insight into this foundational truth. Beginning there in verse 5, look what it says. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? Now, again, these are encouraging words, the writer of Hebrews says. You're to be encouraged when you hear this. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up. When, or don't lose heart. Some translation said, when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he disciplines each one he accepts as his child. And you endure, you go through this divine discipline, remembering that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father. We've got a generation that does not know the discipline of the father, uh, the earthly father. He says here, who's, whoever, who's, whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined? It's just, he's just saying, there's no such thing. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Why? so that we might share in his holiness. Point, set, match. Fifth foundation for growing in intimacy is divine correction is not divine rejection. Divine correction is not divine rejection. God's discipline in our lives is not a statement of his animosity, of his anger, of his displeasure, or of his rejection of us. Again, it is a declaration, it is a divine statement of his passion for you. It is a declaration of his great love towards us and his desire that his 
righteousness would prevail in and over every area of our lives. Now, a a person under divine discipline is a man or a woman in whom God delights in. His discipline does not mean that he is pushing you away, that he's writing you off, that he's cutting the relationship. It is the exact opposite. It's God's seal. It's his pledge of ownership, his passion, his commitment to you and I as his children. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, he said that I am with you always, even until the end of the age, is exactly what he meant. Jesus doesn't retreat from us. He doesn't doesn't distance himself from us when we are under divine correction. And then once we kind of get our act together, he then enters back into relationship with us. Jesus is ever faithful, ever constant, ever present in our lives, even in those times when we may be on the receiving end of God's correction and discipline. Now, this is a tough one for me because growing up, discipline and rejection were tightly linked to one another. And and I often could not, I, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. Whenever I would be disciplined, there always came with it a very strong sense of rejection. Whether it was intended or not, I felt it very, very strongly. Then after a time or once the punishment was over, I would kind of gradually kind of work my way back into you know, my mother's good graces, or I would just kind of feel, you know, uh, her love, her affection would, would kind of just gradually begin to unthaw and kind of warm up to me, and then I would, I would kind of just begin to very, very timidly kind of just make my way back into uh, a relationship with her. And there were times where I would go weeks without speaking or being spoken to by my mother, I mean, I, there would be times I would sit at the table and she would tell other kids um, what she wanted to say to me. If she wanted something passed, she would say to my brother, would you tell Jeff to pass? I mean, it, it, was, it was just this, it was just so, so strong, this sense of, 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 of punishment and rejection. I, I struggle with this with Janie a lot of times. Uh, when, when we have issues um, in our marriage uh, and, and she gets upset with me, I know it's hard to imagine. Um, it's hard for me because oftentimes I will perceive her discipline or her correction toward me and immediately want to link rejection with that. And I have to work very very, very hard. And I've made tremendous progress with her in this, but I still have a long ways to go. And, and I remember when we were first married, I mean, and we would, have, we would have issues. I would just shut down for days because I just, I just thought she's, she's mad at me. She's rejected me. I, I, it was just very, very difficult. And it was very, very difficult for me to explain because I never really kind of, kind of, 
understood the two, you know, that, that, the sense of discipline and rejection. It just felt like one feeling to me. It was, it was so intermingled. It was so woven together. I didn't realize that, that I, was, I was experiencing punishment and rejection just together. When I began to separate that out, I have to tell myself now, she is, she's upset with me. We, we have a disagreement. This is not her rejecting me. And I, and I got to tell myself that. Um, and sometimes I have to uh, just voice that to her. I know you're upset with me. I know this is not rejection. Because, again, my tendency is to just, in, in, in those moments, to feel rejected as well. So I normally carried this into my relationship with God. And so whenever I would, would, would fail God or I would mess up or I would be struggling uh, in certain areas, uh, I would just immediately feel rejected by God. And, and not rejected, but even during moments of correction um, and, and, and discipline. So I really had to work hard. And I still have to work very, very hard at this understanding, this concept that I am enjoyed. God delights in me. I am not rejected. Even those times when I feel his divine correction and discipline over my life. So many of us equate God's discipline and correction in our lives as his rejection, his repulsion of us. And nothing could be further from the truth. I think about the adulterous woman uh, who was brought to Jesus in John 8. Um, and again, you just look at that. I mean, if you've not read that for a while, it would be good to go back and just reread that. Because Jesus is very kind and he is very gentle in the way he deals with this woman. I mean, as you read the story, if you've ever seen just even sometimes how it's portrayed on film. I mean, I've seen this particular scene portrayed in, in movies about Jesus' life. And, and again, they go to great lengths, again, to, to, to make Jesus come across as so compassionate because I believe that he was. He doesn't deny. He doesn't downplay. He doesn't ignore this woman or what she's done. Uh, he doesn't disregard her sin of adultery. Yet he does perceive it. He sees it as a weakness, as sin, as spiritual immaturity. I don't think he sees it as rebellion against God. So his enjoyment, his delight over her is very, very evident. It just comes across very clearly. Even though he doesn't approve of her behavior. And again, this is a form of divine discipline. You know, where, where are thy accusers? There are none. And he says, I... I I condemn you neither. Go now and sin no more. There's the divine correction. Go and sin no more. But there's no rejection in that at all. Again, remember what I stated earlier, the driving motivation behind divine discipline in the sinful areas of our lives, it is a declaration of God's ownership, his passion, and his commitment over our lives to bring us to that place of holiness just as he is holy. And we need to see God's divine discipline in our lives as a declaration of his overwhelming passion for you and I. And again, we, we clearly see this in the way Jesus uh, dealt with her. And even though Jesus disciplines her by identifying her adulterous behavior as sinful, again, he tells her, 
to go and sin no more, and in no way does he reject her in that. This is the same way that God desires to deal with us, with those of us who are sincere, the weak, stumbling, imperfect believers. I love the verse from Romans 2, 4. If you do not have this highlighted in your Bible, this is a great verse to highlight. It says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's his kindness, not his wrath. It's his goodness, not his anger, Paul says, that leads you and I to that place of repentance. Again, it's a rhetorical question. Don't, don't you know that? Are, are you just taking that lightly? He says, don't, don't take it lightly. The riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience. Because you know it is his kindness, his patience, it's his goodness that leads you to repentance. God's divine discipline and correction in our lives is not a rejection, but it is an expression of his delight in us. Proverbs 3.12 says this, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Again, to the measure we feel like the Lord's discipline is rejection of us, to that measure that you feel like when God disciplines you that he is rejecting you, that is the measure to which we begin to relate to God in a very religious spirit on the basis of our performance. That's what happens. To the degree that we feel when we're being disciplined of the Lord that it is rejection of us, that is the measure that you will relate to God in a religious, distant spirit. This is where we strive to earn God's love rather than just freely receive the love that he longs to lavish upon us. To freely receive his love as God's gift of grace made available to you and to me through the atoning, redeeming work of Christ on the cross. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work. We just have to receive, embrace, and begin to walk in that. God's discipline and correction in our lives is his guarantee and confidence that the work he is doing in our lives, he is committed to completing it. Let me just give you the seventh foundation and we're going to stop there. because I know this is a lot to take in. And so I don't want to overwhelm you. I may have, we may have passed that mark by now. I hope not. Seventh foundation for growing in intimacy is weak love is not the same as hypocritical love. And we'll kind of, we'll pick it up there next week. Again, this is a, what's a big area for me because sometimes I would just feel like, you know, my, th those times where you just kind of feel like you've got really weak love for God. You know, where you've got that battle going on between the flesh and the spirit and the flesh wins out and you're kind of just saying, I, man, I, I, just, I just don't have the love for God that I need to be able to prevail and to get victory in this area. I just don't have the desire 
Um, and so oftentimes we'll just kind of, we'll buy into this notion that this is, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. This is hypocritical love. And again, oftentimes, again, it is weak love. And it is very, very different from hypocritical love. And we tend to get kind of caught up in that what we're, what we're displaying is hypocritical love. And with that brings guilt and condemnation where weak love is kind of a whole different thing. We'll get, we'll, we'll unpack that um, a little bit more next week. Okay? Is I, I, again, I hope this is helpful to you. Uh, this is, I'm just telling you where I'm at, uh, where I've come from, a little bit of my background. I mean, I've been in mainline denominational churches. I've been down the religion road, and, uh, you know, I've I been four years in seminary. I never heard any of this. Um, so th- for, for me, if it's for you, you know, for you, uh, this is definitely something that I've needed to really uh, get my heart engaged with and really get my heart kind of wrapped around this. And, and I hope it's something that's helpful for you um, as well.